Well, this morning, uh, as we finish up this series, I want to lead with a sentence that says, the greatest hindrance to faith and growth is not the enemy, it's not the battle, and it's not our potential. In other words, it's not the externals that happen often to us. But for us, it's the lure of comfort and convenience that can often be the biggest enemy. If you look throughout world history, 17 major kingdoms and people groups gave up their place in history because enemy kings would come to them with a proposal. We can go to war, we can go to battle, we will probably wipe you out, or you can surrender now, become my vassals, and you'll have a life of luxury, and, and you won't have to go to war, you won't have to fight, you won't have to do anything. And throughout history, 17 times, King said, you know what, that sounds good. No war, I get to keep my palace, I get to keep my people. Yeah, I gotta pay you some taxes, but you know what, that's better than taking the risk of losing it all. They became slaves to the enemy king, but they were comfortable slaves. Today, we can become slaves to a lot of things in the same way. With satellite TV, countless restaurants and entertainment, high-speed internet, freeways and speedways to take us to the beach, the mountains, or the big cities, then add in our comfortable couches, beds, and kitchens that have become our happy place over the last 18 months. When God calls us to go, we often say, no thanks, I'm good, send someone else. It's the classic story titled, Whose Job Is It Anyway? Some of you have probably heard this. Whose Job Is It Anyway? is the story of four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody, that's their names. God asked everybody to serve in his kingdom. But everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody ended up doing it. Well, somebody got angry because God called everybody, even though nobody actually did it. Everybody, he thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could. <laughs> now I know for many of you that just went <laughs> The story may be confusing, but the message is clear. No one took responsibility, so nothing got accomplished. The temptation to say, God send someone else have somebody else do it. It's not a 21st century idea. In fact, this idea goes back 3,500 years. Now, when you think of Moses, when I think of Moses, I think when a lot of people think of Moses, even when you read the Bible, you've got a picture in your mind of who you think is Moses. And who do we think is Moses, right? Charlton Heston. And when we, I mean, that's just, that's Moses, right, you know? I watch other movies that have Moses. I say, it's not Moses. I didn't get Moses in the movie, you know? You gotta have Moses in the movie, and that is Charlton Heston. I think you get the picture just from the picture here, is that, you know, when we think of Moses, and you remember most of the story, the Egyptians follow him, they get covered up by the sea. Most of us, for most of us, that's exactly how we think of Moses. But very few of us, especially when you see something like that, remember that Moses did not start out that way. You notice from the beginning, 
Moses wasn't really all in on the idea of being a leader. Uh, Moses wasn't all in on the idea that God could use him for something amazing. I want to go ahead and go to our scripture this morning, Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If not, uh, it should be on the screen. Beginning in Exodus 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, because <coughs> God talking to Moses, and God says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, and we just kind of saw this in the clip, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said this, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. So God's essentially saying, he's, he's previewing, right, you know, Exodus chapter 20, you know, when they come to Mount Sinai and God gives them the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. God's saying, that's going to happen. He doesn't tell Moses everything that's going to happen in between those two uh, points in history. He just says, when you're on the mountain looking back, you're going to realize that I, had, I was with you and I had planned this all along. Often when we feel the conviction of God calling us to do something. Now here, let me contextualize this for a moment. God is not going to call every one of you to lead a people out of Egypt into the promised land, right? That is a big version of a lot of our little versions. God has called some of you to be a dad. Be a dad today. <laughs> I don't know, I heard that in a commercial. Does <laughs> God is calling some of you to be a mom. God is calling some of you to be a helper to somebody. God is calling some of you to go and take care of somebody who may not be very lovable right now. God is calling some of you to, to give to something. There is little, little nudges that God puts on our heart and you just feel the conviction that it's something more than a good idea, it's a God idea. And a lot of times, that God idea is going to be a little bit further than our comfort zone would allow, right? I remember somebody once said, I feel called to go to church without walls, but I feel a little bit uncomfortable driving down there. I said, then it's probably God. Because he's always going to take you further than your comfort zone would allow. And, and so month after month would go by, they wouldn't come. Finally, I said, I will come pick you up. And I will take you down there. And I promise you, nobody's going to hurt you. Nothing's going to happen. You're going to have a great time. You're going to serve God. You're going to feed a whole bunch of people. And you're going to go home feeling the best you ever have. On the way home, the person said, man, it's exactly how you described it. Sometimes when we go out of our comfort zone and do that thing, that, that little nudge that God's put on your conscience to do, that is when we can experience some of the greatest joy in our faith and greatest victory. But sometimes in order to get there, we do this thing called what ifing, right? We start what ifing God, you know, and that's exactly what, you know, uh, Lord, what if I began to speak up for you at the office? And what if I get in trouble? What are you going to do then? What if I volunteer for Sunday school and the kids turn out to be brats? Can I get out of it? You know, what if? No, yeah. <laughs> What if I take my vacation next summer 
and I go on the mission, the short-term mission trip, and then I get some strange disease. What then? What if, what if, what if, what if? We can begin to what if God to death because oftentimes when God says do, you know, put something on our heart to do, he doesn't give us the 10-step program to get there. Just like Moses, he said, you're going to be here on Mount Sinai. But he doesn't tell them all what's going to happen in between. There's going to be 10 plagues. There's going to be a parting of a Red Sea. There's going to be the Passover. There's going to be all these things that happen. Hence, Moses, like us, gets into the what-ifing game. And the first what-if is this. He says, what if they ask who sent me? Not a bad question, right? Moses has been gone for 40 years. The Israelites, they might not even remember who he is, although they all do. He was the Hebrew who was raised as a prince of Egypt. They're not going to forget that. But 40 years is a long time. He says, what if they ask who sent me? God says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent me to you. See, Moses kind of has all the same problem we have. He understands exactly what God wants him to do. His problem wasn't education. His problem wasn't his family background. Maybe Moses wanted some clarification, but he was also stalling for time. Moses' problem was the standard problem that so many of us think of when we think of the fact that we might be used by God. Okay, put in your name, your name used by God. What's happening? Many of us, that's a weird question to answer. I worship God, I go to church, I give to God, I do my God thing, I'm gonna celebrate Thanksgiving, we're gonna pray before the meal, you know, I do all those things. But used by God to do something outside of just the baseline Christianity, outside of just attending, outside of just giving, outside of just gathering, but now we're going. God ups it, and almost all of the time that going is going to entail something of going out of your comfort zone. The last 22 years of full-time ministry and 30-some-odd years of walking with God the one consistent thing he has done with me every year is he's pushed me out of that comfort zone more and more and more and more and more. Because you know what happens when we get comfortable? We get lazy. And we get complacent. And I hate to say it, we can get mean when we get comfortable. God wants to keep us humble by constantly putting us in situations where we have to depend on him. And so Moses is struggling with what a lot of us struggle with. Inadequacy, I'm not up to the task. Indifference, I don't know if I really care about those people. Unbelief, God, I'm not really sure how you work. I'm not sure how this is going to happen. And fear. In some ways, all of his ins and uns boil down to one primal emotion, which is fear. The inadequacy Moses felt was just him struggling with fear of failure. His indifference was a smokescreen for fear of rejection. His unbelief was a form of spiritual laziness that exposed being a fear of being pushed out of his comfort zone. He's essentially saying, God, something could go wrong. I'm not sure I want to do this because something could go wrong. Maybe Pharaoh's going to throw me to the crocodiles. 
Or maybe the Israelites are going to laugh at me when I tell them I'm here to lead them out. Or maybe I would be trapped by the Red Sea where only a miracle could get me out. Moses is weighing all this and saying, "Mm, what if you got the wrong guy? His second what if is this. What if they don't believe me? In Exodus 4.14, Moses answered and said, well, behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice because they're going to say, the Lord didn't appear to you. I mean, come on, you know, we hear that all the time. God told me, to, and you're thinking, I don't know if God told you that, right? We need some evidence, some confirmation that God said this to you, Moses. They will say that the Lord did not appear to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He was a shepherd. He had a shepherd's staff. He said, throw it to the ground. So Moses threw it to the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Those of you who have ever caught snakes, where do you catch snakes? By the head. You don't catch it by the tail. Already, God is pushing Moses out of his comfort zone. I want you to catch it by the tail. And Moses put out his hand and caught it. And it became the staff in his hand. God is about to show Moses something pretty incredible God is about to show Moses what it's like having God on your side when you have God on your side things just seem to work out things just seem to happen doors just seem to open miracles that you don't even recognize are occurring all around you and so God is saying Moses if I send you I'm also going to send you with evidence. Here's one right here. Why did God choose the snake? Snakes represented divine power in Egypt. If you go to Egypt and you see some of their big statues, their serpents that they made statue of. If you look in their hieroglyphs and stuff like that, they were very, very enamored with snakes and serpents. And they represented power and life to the Egyptians. Snake charming was a big business in ancient Egypt. Snake charmers had perfected the ability of how to train a snake to go rigid and become like a staff, and then they'd grab it by the nap of the neck, and all of a sudden, uh, this, you know, they, they would be able to you know, make it become like a snake again. But here's one thing they couldn't do. They couldn't turn solid wood into a snake and then have a snake become solid wood again. Only God could do that. And what is God saying to Moses? I am greater than all the power of Egypt. You're afraid, Moses. And it's a, and it's a, and it's a justifiable fear. Egypt is powerful at this point. So let's take their chief power, the snake. You throw it down, becomes a snake. You pick it up, it becomes wood. I'm trying to tell you, I am greater than all of that power. And when you obey and go with me, I will be with you. And we're going to rock their world. Amen? Number three, Moses is saying, okay, okay. So they believe me, and so I get over myself. But what if I screw this up? I mean, come on, I could make a mistake here. Moses said to the Lord, but I'm not, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past or since you've spoken to me. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who made your mouth? 
I love that. <laughs> Whenever you say to God, I am not qualified or I don't have the ability or I can't do this, his standard answer is going to be, who made who? Did you make me or did I make you? Because if I made you, I'm pretty sure whatever ability you need, it can be given to you. It can be developed in you. Then the Lord said, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I? Now, therefore, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And then look at verse 13. After all of this, after everything God said, look at Moses' response. Oh, Lord, here am I. Please send someone else. Actually, he said, oh, Lord, here am I. Please send Aaron, <laughs> you know, his brother. Uh, even after all of that, Moses still says, send someone else. Why? Because comfort will always be easier than courage. Fear will always be easier than faith. That's why we fight against them. That's why courage and faith often go hand in hand and fear and comfort often go hand in hand moses has a big decision in front of him it's the decision to go yes but even bigger than that moses is facing the decision to obey or not to obey if i obey i'm i mean there's some things that can happen in egypt but god is with me if i don't obey yeah, I could sit around here in the desert with the sheep for the rest of my life. But I'll know that God was not with that decision. That's what's on the line for Moses. If you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and flip it over. And our first point this morning is this. Obviously, Moses obeyed, hence the movie. But point number one is this. Instead of negotiating with God... Just obey him. Instead of negotiating with God, just obey him. God is trying to say, Moses, all you have to do is obey, and I will take care of the rest. If Moses needs a miracle, then Moses gets a miracle. If Moses needs an answer to prayer, it's on its way. Whatever he needs, he's going to get as long as he's obeying. To obey means, Lord, I'm ready. I trust you to work out the details. All right? Say that with me. Say, Lord, I'm ready. You work it all out. That's obedience. Okay? To negotiate means, Lord, say it. Lord, you work out the details. Then I'll go. Right? Totally, totally the, 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 I mean, when you talk about human reason and rational thinking, it goes against all rational thinking, right? Moses should have sat down with God and said, all right, how much money is this going to cost? Okay, you got it? Let's get in it. How many men am I going to need to conquer? I mean, if he was a rational human being, he would have sat down and calculated it like, you know, one of our CEOs or prime ministers of today. God did not give him that option. God said, go. In fact, God said, get going. When Moses finished with send someone else, I didn't have it there, but you know what God's reaction was? Anger. He starts yelling at Moses. Moses, get up. You can do this. I'm with you. 
I've heard the cries of your people. And the longer we negotiate, the more they're getting whipped, the more they're getting beaten, and the more slaves are dying, and the more newborn baby boars are dying. That's the worst part when we negotiate with God. Whoever God has called us to go and help sits in suffering while we negotiate our obedience to God. And God's saying, I got you covered, but the, I'm sending you these people to help them. Can you please stop arguing with me now and just start doing it? As long as we're saying what if, we're not in obedience. We're negotiating, which is a big difference. But once the obedience kicks in, once Moses gave his answer, Moses goes back to his father-in-law and he says, I can't work your sheep anymore. Why? I got to go back to Egypt. Don't go back there. They want to kill you there. I know. (laughs) I'm sure that's how he said it too. I know. But I got to go. I met God out there in the wilderness and he said, He's going to perform some great things, and you're going to see my people in a few months. Once Moses said yes, God was obligated to take care of him. If you got something heavy on your conscience, you know the Lord is calling you to do. And one of the roles that you have, maybe you're a father, mother, son, daughter, coworker, boss, friend. We have many different roles. You got to ask God in each one of those roles, what is his will? And what is he calling you to do in that role? Be careful, because somewhere in the midst of that, you'll hear the call to go and do something in his name. But you'll never know if Jesus is truly with you until you go and do something in his name. Number two, surrender to God all your ins and uns. Uh, all of I'm inadequate, I'm insufficient, I'm unqualified, I'm this and that. I mean, we can say that to death. Obviously, God is not really interested in that. After 22 years of ministry, I'm still surprised by people. I've seen some of the meanest, toughest, gruffiest men become the most amazing Sunday school teachers and nursery workers. I have. I have seen some of the most Amen, David. <laughs> I just got that. Um, <laughs> I have seen <laughs> I have seen some of the smallest, most timid women rise up and lead a mission trip in the boldness of a Jeremiah or an Isaiah. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I have seen teenagers preach some of the best messages this church has ever heard. When inadequacy is your Lord, you'll worship at the altar of fear of failure. When insecurity is your Lord, you'll worship at the altar of fear of rejection. When unbelief is your Lord, you'll worship at the altar of fear of death. But when Jesus is your Lord, you'll worship at the altar of victory and freedom. Unlike ancient civilizations, we surrender to God to be free children, not slaves. Point number three, save room in your heart for new people. When God calls you to go, he probably isn't going to call you to go all alone or be all alone or your mission is all alone. The fact of the matter is, whenever God pushes you out of your comfort zone, I would say 90% of the time, it's for other people. 99% of the time, it's for other people. 
And so this point can't, can't be said enough, especially during this season. Save room in your heart for new people. When a new person walks in the church and they are not noticed, acknowledged, or greeted, here is the message they pick up. This church isn't loving, it isn't friendly, and it has no room in its heart for new people. If they've been to other churches, great. They'll just have a bad experience at our church. But if ours is the first church they've attended in 30 years, and they're trying to give it a try, they're not just judging the church. They're getting their impression of God and Jesus through us. Our mission here every Sunday morning is very important to be in love, to be in unity, to worship our hearts out, and to save room in our hearts to love and greet new people. And then finally, number four, serving is always superior to sitting. Acts 2, 46 and 47 says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they, this is the early church, received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I can't say it enough. Go to church. Go to Bible study. Go to cleansing streams. Tony? (laughs) Go to church without walls. Go to men's group, women's group, youth group, men's camp, women's camp, youth camp. Go. And leave your what-ifs at home. Every year between 60,000 and 200,000 people. This is significant. Every year, up to 200,000 people will die from a medical condition called deep vein thrombosis. And usually, the deep vein thrombosis occurs where in the legs and the reason it occurs in the legs is because blood is pooling there because those legs aren't doing anything but sitting and resting and sleeping now i understand some people who are infirm and they can't get up and walk around that's different and they make special socks to keep those things going But I don't think all 200,000 people are from that. What happens is a blood clot forms because the blood's not moving. And if it travels to your lungs or brain, it can cause an embolism and respiratory failure or stroke. The tragic thing about DVTs is not that they are caused by irresponsible behavior, but the largest reason is inactivity. Simply sitting or laying down too long is all it takes for one of these clots to form. We can get spiritual deep vein thrombosis as well. How do we avoid that? I close with the mission statement that we began on October 10th. And I took the next six weeks to explain this vision. If we do this vision, our church will grow. We will experience miracles. The baptism with the Holy Spirit will fall on our church. We will have amazing things happen. 
I didn't write this just because I found it and it was a good thing in some Christian catalog to market and regurgitate to you. I believe in it. We gather people. We grow in Christ. We give to the Lord and we go where he calls us to be. You do that, that's a church that's unstoppable. And along the way, there's going to be a lot of hurting and broken people who are loved into the kingdom. Do you want to be a part of that? Then stand up. Pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I commit to be a part of the gathering of the lost, broken, and hurting. I commit to grow in my faith that I may become more like you. I commit to give money and time to further your kingdom. And Lord, I will go with no what ifs, no negotiating, obeying and knowing you will be there when I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise? Come on.